The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Uh, I recently heard about a discipleship program for men where one of the exercises they take you through is where you sit down and you write your own eulogy. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever had to do that or somebody ask you to do that? That's a, that's a pretty kind of a, feels like a weird thing to do. A eulogy is usually given whenever someone has passed away, but it doesn't just mean that. It just means celebrating someone's life. And so if you kind of sit down and you say, hey, this is what I really would like people to celebrate about me, uh, it kind of gives you like a whole like kind of process that you have to go through, right? Like you have to figure out like, all right, this is what I would like my family and my friends to, to think about me, but this is actually what I think I really am. And so I, I wonder what I need to do in order to get there. Um, that's really what you're saying. You're saying, this is what I really want to be known for. This is what I want my life to have counted for. And for all the things that the book of Revelation holds, what it, one of the big picture things that it really is, it really is God's eulogy. It is God's declaration at the end of creation as we know it, saying, this is who I am and this is what I've been about in creation. It's God saying, this is who I am and this is what I have been doing. And so right at the beginning of Revelation, we have the Apostle John who walked with Jesus. This is years later, decades later, actually, he has this vision. And in this vision, it opens up, he, uh, the first couple of few chapters of the, of the book are uh, him kind of laying out who this book is to. And then kind of we kick off right in the beginning of the vision in chapter four, where John all of a sudden sees heaven and he sees the throne of God. And as he looks and he sees the throne of God, this whole vision starts to unfold around, uh, 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 in front of him. And what the first things, one of the first things that he hears is he hears 
heaven celebrating God for what he has done in creation. It's celebrating this eulogy for God. Look in verse, if you have your Bible, you can turn to chapter 4 of Revelation. Verse 11 is the first song that we hear in uh, the book of Revelation. I had a, one of my mentors told me that, hey, for all the confusing things that we find in Revelation, it's actually like the New Testament book of Psalms. It's a, it's a book of, of a praise to God. Look at verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. So these are the angels and the living creatures that are around the throne of of heaven that John sees. They sing this song. This is the song that John hears them singing. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Right? So they're singing. You're worthy to receive glory and honor and power for, because... You created all things, and by your will they existed, and they were created. So the first thing that John hears in heaven is this song coming in heaven where the angels and the living creatures are singing, God, you are worthy because you created everything. By your will they existed, and for you they were created, and because of that, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Then the next thing he hears is the there's this scroll that is there. It's really the story of the, how the world is going to be ended and the, the, the sign of authority on how this world is going to be ended. And the, the scroll is there, and all of heaven starts to ask, who is worthy to open the scroll? No one has the right authority and power to open this scroll and to set things in motion that are going to come in motion until one shows up who is, and it's Jesus Christ. And so look down to verse, after Jesus steps forward to take the scroll in verse 9, and they sang a new song, that's the 24 elders that are around the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ, and they sang a new song, saying, so now they're singing to Christ, the second person of Godhead, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. You are the one who is worthy and who has the authority to do that. Why? For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So in these two passages, these first first two songs that we see in Revelation, we see God, first of all, celebrated because he created all things. He thought it all up. Isn't that amazing? I'm not a man of science. It kind of, like, when I start to hear things, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it, but everything that you hear about the amazing creation that we are in, everything you hear about the universe, isn't this, I can't wrap my head around this, they say the universe is finite, but it's ever-expanding. Can you wrap your head around that? Like, can you wrap your head around who thought up both the giraffe and the rhinoceros and the mosquito? Like, how does all that work? Who thought all that up? Like, can you picture all that? Who thought of like all the myriad of things that you see across the earth and into space? He thought all that up. He holds it into existence by his power, and all of it reflects who he is in a particular way. We see him celebrated. We see God celebrated because he created all things. He thought it all up. He fulfilled it, and he holds it by the word of his power. And then we see Jesus celebrated because he was slain in order to ransom or save or rescue a people for God. And we see that ransom celebrate, that, the, that Jesus ransomed or saved people for God. We see it celebrated in two ways. 
Look at this in verse uh, 9 in chapter 5. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Then look how he explains that ransom. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them into one, or made them a kingdom from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. You made them together a kingdom and a group of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. One of the things that we see that heaven views as praiseworthy about Jesus is that his church is, a, is radically diverse and amazingly unified. Jesus' church, one of the things that heaven sings about is that his church is radically diverse and amazingly unified. This church, when we see it in heaven, is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-generational church. God's church is dazzlingly, dazzlingly multifaceted. Isn't that crazy? Not only, like, so we have in, on earth, we have multiple languages and races and tribes and nations, but when we get there, we aren't all just like all of a sudden the same color and the same language somehow he sees every tribe, nation, tongue, and language represented before the throne of Jesus. And they're all worshiping the Lord there. They're all ransomed or saved by God, by Jesus. And that's one of the things that he receives praise for. It's a big deal for, to God. The fact that Jesus' church is radically multifaceted is a really big deal to God. And so we're going to dive in just a little bit more and see why this is such a big deal. We're going to see that God's multifaceted church reflects his diverse beauty in creation. We're going to see that God's multifaceted church reflects the power of Christ's reconciliation. These are, no, these are long points. And then we're going to see that God's multifaceted church reflects his design for, new for the new creation. And we're going to see, how does God's multifaceted church reflect his original diverse beauty in creation and the power of Christ's reconciliation and his design for the new creation that we're all going to live in forever and ever if we love the Lord. First of all, God's multifaceted church reflects his diverse beauty in creation. So let's just start off with this, ask this kind of question, this little small question right off the bat. Why did God create the universe? Ever thought about that? Why in the world did God create the universe? This universe that creates, that is so expansive and so multifaceted, so amazing, is so large, so huge, so like just mind-boggling in its sheer size. It's also mind-boggling in its sheer diversity of all the, just the earth itself. Think of all the all the ecosystems and all the animals and all the structures, all of the uh, rivers and oceans and mountain ranges and, and, the, and then on top of that, the human beings and our dazzling like differences. Like, why did God create the universe? Well, this tells us, in fact, it's the whole point of Scripture all the way through, but it tells us back in that verse that we read in chapter 4, verse 11, Worthy are you to receive our, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. God created the universe to glorify himself. He didn't create the universe because he was bored. 
He didn't create human beings because he was lonely. He created the universe and he created human beings because out of, the, um, out of his own sufficiency and his amazingness, he desired for some reason to express his beauty, his nature, his character. That's his glory. That's what his glory means. By the way, that's what doxa means. Doxa means glory. And glory means it's the weight of God's character and nature. It's his beauty. It's, the, it's, what, it's whenever he goes public with who he is as God. He desired, uh, there's a, a famous uh, theologian, his name is Jonathan Edwards, is what I, I named uh, my son's middle name after him. He, he's described creation as God all of a sudden, like, you know how like Old Faithful in, uh, or a geyser like explodes, just has to let off the pressure? Like creation was like God letting off this pressure of his amazingness to showcase, hey, just see how amazing I am. Look at this universe I am making. I'm going to make man in my own image. And boom, he spins it into, into being. He's expressing his amazing beauty through the universe and all of its Myriads of ways in science and art in human beings. Look at this room. You guys just alone reflect a great diversity of people and representations. And all together, his universe, his creation showcases or reflects the nature and the character of God. And that includes human civilization. In fact, in some ways, it includes especially human civilization. Because when God created the world, it says he was good. But then when he said, let us make man in our own image, in the image of God, he created man, male and female. Humans, in all our ways, reflect a particular element of the nature and character of God that the rest of civilization does not. Now, Humanity has been, we were created perfect and good in the image of God, and then we fell in the garden. Ever since then, humanity has been sinners by nature, passed down from Adam, and by choice. We are marred by, nat- by our sin nature, we're marred by our own selfishness, and we never quite live up to our potential, do we? And yet, and yet that image of being created in the image of God is still there in every single human being. You here were created in the image of God. And there's a way that you individually reflect his nature and character that no one else, not only alive today, but in the history of humanity or in the future of humanity ever will. But here's also the truth. You and I alone do not adequately reflect the image or nature or character of God alone. It's not hard to imagine about anybody else, right? Like you can look at me and say, Randy, you know, maybe you have certain characteristics that are admirable, but you do not on your own reflect the nature and character and the image of God. And neither do you. But you start to put humanity together with all our differences and all of a sudden you get a better picture. I am not what you call athletic. I'm not what you call an outdoorsy person. I don't know why I did air, air quotes on that. Uh, th- those, 
Those aren't particular giftings and abilities that I have. If you have, I tried not to put on display because it makes people laugh too much, but if you have ever seen me try to display any element of athleticism, you totally get it. Like Randy, like, but, 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 but yet, when we watch amazing athletes, don't we see like, like you, you picture like, how can that person do that? How can they jump that high or run that fast or do the things with their body they're able to do? Like, isn't it amazing? They show one element and I show some other element. I don't know what it is, but they, I show some other element, the reading element, the nerdy element. Like, you know, I, but, but together, when you put humanity together, all of a sudden, in all our diversity, you get a clearer picture of the beauty that's found in God that we don't adequately picture or able to image alone. And the same thing is true with us when it comes to culture and language and even age. There's something that a child represents about God and his nature and, a char- and character. That's beautiful to see, isn't it? But then there's also something that someone who is older, that they, how they reflect an element of, in terms of, wisdom and patience and that, that, that a child does not reflect. And we put them together, all of a sudden we get a clear picture. The same thing is true with our cultures. There's certain things that certain cultures reflect in the nature and character of God that other cultures do not reflect. My culture has particular difficulty with rhythm. My culture has other particular difficulties. Uh, Together, we get a clearer, better picture when we put it all together of the nature and character of God. My culture, my ethnicity, my sex, my age is not enough to show the image of God. I have to have representatives of other ethnicities and languages and cultures and ages together to more clearly display the beauty that is found in God, the beauty that he had in mind when he spun the world into being. And that's what we were made for. We were made, the the fact that we have different ethnicities and cultures and languages is not a curse. That is not a result of the fall. Now, if you know that you know your Bible, you say, well, Randy, what about Babel? Like, we were all speaking the same language, we're building this tower, and all of a sudden, he gives us different languages, and we scatter, but it doesn't say it was a curse. And the reason that we know it wasn't a curse is we see it here in Revelation. We see one of the things that Jesus prays for is that he ransomed a people from God, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation and made them a kingdom and priest to our God. When a couple of chapters later, when John sees the people who've been won by Christ gathered, he says in chapter 7, verse 9, and this, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Think of how each ethnicity and culture and even age showcases each unique strengths 
to display the image of God. What we want to see as a church is we want to see each of those unique gifts and diverse expressions of all these cultures, of all peoples and tribes and languages and tongues released, ransomed to God and released to showcase and celebrate the glory of God in its unique way to express it. We want to see each person freed and ransomed by Christ to celebrate in their unique way. And we want to see each culture and language and ethnicity and tongue and tribe and even age freed to declare the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ in their unique expression and their unique way. That's the picture that we get at the end of all creation. When Christ calls us all home, it's from every tribe and nation and tongue and ethnicity right there before the throne, before the Lamb. Now, I don't know what that will look like. Will there be a heavenly language that they're all singing together? Or will there be some beautiful way that each of us in our own tongue, even though maybe the tongue that we spoke here on earth, are singing praises to the throne, to the Lamb, and yet it comes out together in some beautiful, harmonious way. Isn't that something exciting? If you go to a major city and you get on the subway and you feel uncomfortable, you will probably be uncomfortable in heaven. Because in heaven, there's a rainbow of colors and languages and expressions that will boggle your mind. And it together expresses glory to God in a way that we cannot in a monolithic culture. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I keep saying it because I want us to drive this home into our souls, and it makes you uncomfortable. I'm okay with that. God is not white. He is not Republican. He is not Southern. He's not a Southern Baptist or yet, like, he God. We can't even imagine because all together we reflect the image of God in all our language and tribes and nations and tongues. But though that's how we see it at the end, that's not how it works out, is it? Like, isn't it crazy how over and over again, like, ethnic differences, age differences, cultural differences have been things that divide us instead of unite us? Isn't that, that's the history of the world. I mean, we have, in America, we have our own unique and terrible and sad history in certain areas of this. And it is sad and it is deplorable, but all of creation has had problems with this. We've always found some way that we are other than someone else, and we made the other of the other person evil in order to make ourselves feel better about who we are. It could be a language difference, it can be a, col a color difference, it can be a cultural difference, it can be what, it can be, if you're being tad, it could be like, Team LeBron and just a, a hater difference. But, but we always find something that divides us between each other and we make that the other person is less than because they're different or because they're other than me. But here in this book, we see Jesus is glorified for being willingly slain to rescue a people to God from all these different backgrounds, all these different languages and ethnicities together, chosen by him together to be his people. 
We, we saw that a few weeks ago in 1 Peter 1, where it says that you were chosen, you have a living hope because you were chosen by God. And then we look at who, who has been chosen, people who have been rescued from every tribe and language and people and nation. This, that is specified here because that's part of what Jesus gets glory for. Here's what Jesus gets glory for. For all the differences in the way that we have divided over ethnicity and culture and language and race and whatever things that we can find to divide over is only Jesus who's the, who's the, the, the he's the only one who can solve our, eth, our ethnicity problems. He's the only one who can solve our race problems. He's the only one who can solve our gender problems. He's the only one who can solve our ageism problems. It is only through Christ that we find the ability to unite a people who are so diverse and yet can not only not play down the diversity, but let that, that play up that diversity in unity to glorify him. Look at Ephesians, if you have your Bible, you can look over quickly to Ephesians 2, 13 through 19. We don't have too long to unpack this or break it down, but I just want you to see this. Ephesians 2.13. Now listen to this in the light of what we've been thinking about, the, the different ethnicities and languages and cultures and even ages. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What, think about that song, for you ransomed a people. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to, the, to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What that is telling us is that Jesus, through the gospel, is creating a new humanity, a new ethnicity that still reflects all our different ethnicities, all our different languages, all our different cultures, and yet breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between them. He doesn't merge the cultures. He breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between our cultures and our ethnicities and our ages so that we can celebrate them and yet no longer have that wall of hostility between us. Because why is that wall there? We construct that wall between people who are different than us so that we can feel better about ourselves by putting them down. And this is how it creates a new humanity, because the gospel comes and says, hey, guess what? The bad news is you are far worse off than you ever thought that you were. You're like, oh, that is terrible. But then the other side of the gospel is, but yet in Christ, you are far more loved than you ever dared 
to dream. And you know what that means? That means because I am far worse off than I ever thought I was, that means I'm on the same, I'm on the same table, the same plane as everybody else. It doesn't matter if I am rich and they're poor, or if I am whatever color and they're a different color, if I'm one culture and they're a different culture, if I speak one language and they speak another, all of a sudden I see we are all on the same plane, all sinners in the sight of God, all deserving punishment. But yet, in Christ, I am far more loved than I ever dared to dream. So no longer do I boast in my athletic prowess or my, uh, my smartness. No longer do I boast in what family I come from. No, and especially do I no longer boast in what color I am or what color I am not or what country I live in or do not live in or uh, my age or that I'm a male or I'm a female. All of a sudden, my only boast is in Christ and therefore I can accept who I am and I can also accept who you are for just at face value, and I can look at you and say, hey, you're a sinner, me too. But in Christ, man, we are both loved more than we can ever imagine. And that's the basis for a new, human a new humanity that has a new and profound humility and a new and profound assurance of who we are in Christ. So that's why we see in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, all these different cultures and languages and peoples and nations together, they reflect all those different languages and tongues and nations, but yet we saw in chapter 7, they wear the same clothes, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but yet still reflecting the unique culture and language and tribe and tongue that they were made to, to in order to reflect the multifaceted nature of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we have that we get this perfect in the church. Those of us who are called out ones, who are members of the household of God, who should have this new and radical humility and this new and radical assurance where we see that God has made, called people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue, and we should all be on the same playing field, and that we should give glory to God in our radical diversity and our radical unity. It doesn't mean that this always works out perfectly. Sadly, still, Sunday mornings are one of the most segregated times in America. And that, that we should say that we should not accept that. We should not think that that's okay. Well, I, say that, I say that to our shame. But it does mean that we work together as a people to work out what Christ has won for us and we know that he's going to display at the end of the age. We are going to be, listen to this, we are going to be a people united from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue and we are now a people united of every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. We have to figure out how to work that out. It's true already, and it will be true in perfection, but we get to work out how do we get there knowing what has united us. What that allows us to do is that it allows us to find the power and the will to see that things change. The power to see things change is through, the, through Christ, 
the power of the gospel and the will to see it change is because if you are a believer, you desire that God would receive all the glory that he desires to receive. And this is one of the ways that he receives glory by uniting people from every tribe, language, and tongue, and nation. So that, so what do we do? It means that we are able to recognize the ongoing struggles that we have. And even though the dividing wall has been torn down between us, we have to figure out how to work that out. We have to figure out how all this works. How do we reflect what Christ has won for us? How do we work it out? How do we figure out how to make sure that Jesus receives the glory for that which he purchased his glory for? Because what, what people should see when they see the church not just our church individually, but the church around the world, is they should see us reflecting this in ways that the greater culture does not, and they should see us being able to work out in ways that we don't yet reflect, working it through so that we see it on the other side. So one way that we can do that is if you understand that dividing wall hostility has been broken down, and that this is a way that Jesus receives glory, then I need to, as his son, and you need to, as his son or daughter, we need to educate ourselves about these other cultures and languages and tongues and nations that Christ was slain to redeem. We have to educate ourselves about it. And I don't just, and that is in so many ways. We need to be, we need to educate ourselves in what is it like for someone who is of different age, a different color, a different language in our community to be a believer. We need to educate ourselves. What is it like for them? What is it like for people who are not like me to, to see the world and go about things? And that requires a certain amount of humility and a certain amount of desire to see God glorified more than me comforted. So uh, we have a meeting on Thursday mornings where we plan our, our worship gathering. And uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Jamin and Megan, my wife and I, were sitting in there, and we, I mean, we were talking about this service. A and I said something, and Jamin and Megan called me out in the room together. That What I was saying was, uh, was very Anglo-centric. I'm a white Southern American male, and I can't help that. That's not evil. That is just the way that I view the world. But it is evil if I am not willing to listen to how other people view the world and how they experience the world. It is evil if, I'm, if I think that my way is the right way or the neutral way, and their way is the different and the other way. I need to go, I need to approach other cultures and languages and tongues and even ages and try to have to educate myself about how they experience the world but I also need to educate myself and you need to educate yourself on the fact that we Christ the American Christians are a minority in the world no matter what color we are now the American church is not the church there are right now and throughout the Throughout every day, there are Christians all across the world, in Africa, in South America, in Europe, around in Asia, around the world, worshiping Christ 
in languages and ways that we may not understand or we may not even uh, get, but they are, are celebrating Christ in a way that we can't. And we want to see other tribes and languages and tongues that haven't yet been reached with the gospel to be reached so that God can be glorified in every language by every tribe around the world. We need to expose ourselves through other relationships to people who aren't like me. I need to ask humble questions of other people. I need to have honest conversations about issues. Christians should not shy away from racial differences. Christians should not shy away from uh, issues about sexism or ageism, we should be engaging at those points because we know that the answer to unity in diversity is Jesus Christ. We carry the answer, so therefore, we should pursue those issues. And then we should empower. We should empower people around us to speak into our viewpoint. I, I should empower people who are not like me. Maybe there are other ages ethnicities, maybe they speak other languages, maybe they're, uh, it's a gender thing, for them to, people who are outside my normal bubble, to, I should empower them to speak into my life in ways that may, I might find uncomfortable. And I need to empower people, and I need to find, and you guys need to find, ways to follow leaders who reflect a different facet of God's glory than just people that look like us. God's multifaceted church reflects his diverse beauty in creation, reflects the power of Christ's reconciliation, and reflects God's design for his new creation. God is glorified in the fact that it is he alone who can bring together all the different ethnicities and languages and tongues and tribes into one people and hold them there. Not merging them, but each reflecting like a diamond cut, multifacetedly, reflecting each in its own way, together as a unified whole, though, the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. People from the outside should look into the church and say, wow, you guys showcase a unity that we can't get to. And we should be able to say back to, yes, we do. But yet, we have so far to go and we're still figuring this out. If you think this is beautiful unity, wait till our king who thought this whole thing up returns and unites us all perfectly apart from sin and death. It's going to be amazingly, dazzlingly beautiful at that point. We can own the fact that we still get it wrong in many areas we're saying he's going to return and he's going to make it all right. And so until we get there, here's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to participate in God's global mission to see people from every tribe and nation and tongue and ethnicity worship around his throne. We're going to pursue partnerships with people who reflect God's multifaceted church. We're going to do that locally. I pray our congregation looks more and more diverse as we grow. I pray that 
if it's God's will to put us in this building downtown Myrtle Beach, so that would put us in a better position, in a better place to better reflect that multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-aged church that we want to reflect God's glory. We're going to reflect it in-house. We're also going to reflect it in ways that we're going to partner with other churches that don't worship or look like we look. So that the community would look and say, look at those Christians loving each other and working together in ways that we've never seen them do before. And we're going to here in-house create a culture that celebrates the diversity of God's church more than we value comfort. We're going to build a culture that celebrates God's diversity in his church more than we value comfort. That means that there'll be times where I don't get the music, I don't get the service, I don't get the preaching, I don't get the group exactly the way I want it to be because it reflects what somebody else, the way somebody else wants it to be. And I'm going to be okay with that and I'm going to glory in that even if I can't keep time as I clap my hands. That's going to, in a beautiful way, reflect the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. We are a multicultural church worldwide. We are going to be a multicultural church when Christ returns. We've got to figure out that, meet, that middle time, and we're going to do it together by God's help through the gospel. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.